BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Giles Milton, host of the Unknown History Podcast, and you're listening to a special mini-series from historian Tom Clavin on Wild Bill Hickok. Hi, I'm Tom Clavin, and this is part one of Wild Bill, The Life and Death of a Gunslinger. Their names are legends on the American frontier. Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, Kit Carson, Wyatt Earp, Buffalo Bill Cody, and Wild Bill Hickok. We probably know the least about Wild Bill Hickok. Why is that? During his lifetime, no one's fame burned brighter than his. Yet today, Wild Bill's life and times are a mystery to many. In Wild Bill, my new book about Wild Bill Hickok, the largely untold story of the greatest gunfighter of them all is finally revealed. James Butler Hickok was born in May 1837 in Illinois. The Hickok family originally hailed from New England and were fierce abolitionists. On their Illinois farm, Hickok's father not only sheltered runaway slaves, but in daring nighttime rides transported them via the Underground Railroad to safety further north. Young James and his brother went on many of these rides to fool bounty hunters and were sometimes shot at while making a desperate escape. Ironically, when the Civil War began, James would be the only Hickok family member to serve in the Union Army. Before the war, though, James left the farm for Missouri and Kansas and points west. I am a pilgrim and a stranger, and I am to wander until I am 21, and I will tarry a little, the young James Butler Hickok wrote to his mother, Polly. He became a wagon driver, a teamster, an occasional scout with the U.S. Army. On one of the wagon trains west, Hickok met a boy named Billy Cody. As the trek progressed, Cody met one of the drivers who identified himself as James B. Hickok, quote, a tall, handsome, magnificently built and powerful young fellow who could outrun, outjump, and outfight any man on the train. One evening, Cody ran afoul of a surly, overbearing teamster twice his size, who knocked the boy down with one swat. Cody got up holding a pot of coffee, and he threw the scalding contents in the man's face, who in turn, quote, sprang at me with the ferocity of a tiger, and undoubtedly would have torn me to pieces. What prevented this was the appearance of Hickok, who knocked the teamster down. He warned, if you ever again lay a hand on that boy, little Billy there, I'll give you such a pounding that you won't get over it for a month of Sundays. Hickok may have saved Cody's life, an act that would be reciprocated a decade later. When the Civil War broke out, anti-slavery Hickok signed up with the Union Army. His activities included scouting and being a member of a unit of sharpshooters. But his most effective role was as Union spy disguised behind enemy lines. Time and again, Hickok risked his neck to glean important information about the Confederate Army. One time, while dressed as a Confederate officer of General Marmaduke's Rebel Division, Hickok reunited with Cody. The latter was 17 when his mother died in November 1863. Up to that point in the war, Cody had worked as a freight hauler and ridden with the Red Legs as they attacked settlements in Missouri. The reasoning of his unit, commanded by a man named Chandler, was that this pursuit was justified since, quote, the government was waging war against the South, and it was perfectly square and honest, and we had a good right to do it, Cody recalled. We didn't let our conscience trouble us very much. 
His military status changed after his mother's death. He continued his dissipation for about two months, then one day, after having been under the influence of bad whiskey, Cody woke to find himself a soldier in the 7th Kansas. Apparently, in a blackout, he enlisted in the regiment, also known as Genesis Jayhawkers, and went off to war. One day, Cody wrote in his first autobiography, Judge my surprise when I recognized in the stranger my old friend and partner, Wild Bill, disguised as a Confederate officer. Hickok informed him that he was disguised as an officer from Texas, who was with General Price's Confederate Army. He gave Cody what information he had collected in recent weeks and letters to bring back to Union commanders. Cody hoped he would return with him, but Hickok said, I am getting so much valuable information that I propose to stay a little while longer in disguise. It was after the war that the man now known because of his hair-raising exploits as Wild Bill Hickok became the first true gunfighter on the American frontier. The event that made his reputation took place in Springfield, Missouri in July 1865. A man from Arkansas, Davis Tutt, was unhappy about losing money to Hickok in a poker game and walked away with his gold watch, telling everyone he would display it as he walked across the town square. Sure enough, late that afternoon, Tut was back in the Springfield Town Square brandishing the pocket watch. Witnesses noted that a few minutes before 6 o'clock, Hickok was observed entering the town square from the south. In his right hand was one of his Colt Navy pistols. By the time he had drawn to within 100 feet of Tut, the latter was alone in one corner of the square as townsfolk had rushed for cover in surrounding buildings. Dozens of pairs of eyes watched the scene unfold. Dave, here I am, Hickok said. In one last attempt to avoid a fight, he holstered his pistol and advised, don't you come across here with that watch. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Did Tut underestimate Hickok? Or with all those witnesses, he could not possibly hand over the watch? He may have been debating his options as his right hand came to rest on his holstered gun. He turned sideways and Hickok did the same. This was a maneuver associated with a traditional duel, but this wouldn't be the old-fashioned Alexander Hamilton versus Aaron Burr kind of challenge, where the two men pace off, turn to each other, and each formally takes a shot, perhaps deliberately missing his opponent, because just showing up and going through the motions was enough to have honor satisfied. This would be a quick draw, shoot first and ask questions later event. A few seconds passed, then Tut's hand jerked and his pistol came with it. In a smoothly coordinated series of motions, Hickok lifted up his colt, balanced the barrel on his bent left arm, and pulled the trigger the same instant Tut tugged his. In an abrupt and harsh silence, the gun smoke was swept away by the evening breeze. Then Tut cried out, Boys, I'm killed! He began to move, staggering toward the courthouse. He got as far as the porch, 
then weaved back into the sun-baked, dusty street. He fell and may have been dead before he hit the ground. The bullet had entered Tut's torso between the fifth and seventh ribs and struck his heart. Hickok watched the man die as he holstered his pistol. The story spread across the frontier like a prairie fire, that there was a man named Wild Bill Hickok in Missouri who might well be the fastest gunslinger on the American frontier. For once, a story with such a swift circulation was true. From that day forward, Wild Bill Hickok was the most famous and feared gunslinger around. In fact, the most famous Western heroes to much of America in the years after the Civil War were Hickok and George Armstrong Custer. The two became fast friends when Hickok was hired as a scout for the dashing Colonel's 7th Cavalry. But taking a special interest in Hickok was Custer's young and beautiful wife, Libby. Upon meeting him at Fort Riley, she was immediately smitten. Physically, he was delight to look upon, was how her description began. Tall, lithe, and free in every motion, he rode and walked as if every muscle was perfection, and the careless swing of his body as he moved seemed perfectly in keeping with the man, the country, the time in which he lived. I do not recall anything finer in the way of physical perfection than Wild Bill when he swung himself lightly from his saddle and with graceful swaying step, squarely set his shoulders and well-poised head, approached our tent for orders. He was rather fantastically clad, of course, but all seemed perfectly in keeping with the time and place. He did not make an armory of his waist, but carried two pistols. He wore top boots, riding breeches, and dark blue flannel shirt with scarlet set in front. A loose neck handkerchief left his fine, firm throat free. I do not remember all his features, but the frank, manly expression of his fearless eyes and his courteous manner gave one a feeling of confidence in his word and his undaunted courage. For Hickok in the following years, there were gunfights galore. Sometimes he shot men in the course of doing his job as one of the frontier's first lawmen in Hayes City and Abilene and as a deputy U.S. marshal roaming the prairie. Other times it was purely self-defense because Hickok would suddenly encounter a man or a group of men looking to establish their own reputations by killing the fastest gun in the West. Whatever town he was in, Hickok walked down the middle of the street, avoiding doorways and alleys, and he always carried two Colt forty-five pistols, a Derringer, a Bowie knife, a shotgun. Adding to his distinctive look was that Hickok always wore a black sombrero and yellow moccasins. As with most gunfighters, time caught up to Wild Bill Hickok. He was only 37 and living in Deadwood, South Dakota, on August 2, 1876, only weeks after his friend George Armstrong Custer was killed at Little Bighorn. He decided to spend the hot afternoon playing cards in the cool interior of a saloon. The cowardly Jack McCall entered the saloon, for once, Hickok was not seated with his back to the wall. Quietly and unobtrusively, McCall eased himself behind Hickok. Charlie Rich dealt cards to the three other men. Hickok held in his hands a pair of aces, a pair of eights, and a queen. At about 4.10, McCall stepped forward and placed the muzzle of a forty-five caliber revolver against the back of Hickok's head and pulled the trigger. There was the sudden loud sound of a shot, and McCall cried out, Damn you, take that! Hickok jerked forward. He was motionless for a few moments, then he fell sideways out of the chair. Hickok still held two aces, two eights, and a queen, forever to be known as Dead Man's Hand. Wild Bill packed a lot of exciting adventures into his short life. With exciting details and many colorful characters, those adventures can be found in my new book, Wild Bill, The True Story of the American Frontier's First Gunfighter. Ask for it at your local bookstore. You've been listening to guest historian Tom Clavin. I'm your host, Giles Milton. 
Tune in to the Unknown History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks for listening. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.